0: Hey, how's everybody doing today? Everybody's good. Hey, turn to somebody other than your spouse who's around you and say, "How you doing today?" Come on, turn now somebody, "How you doing today?" Or, as they say on the other coast, "How you doing? How you doing?" Hey, I'm glad you're here today. It's going to be a great day. Hey, I, I heard um, a rumor at our family night that the Mario Brothers are going to be here in person. A couple of them in our church band, but uh, you might didn't recognize them. But Mario Brothers are going to be here from what I understand. That's a rumor that's going around, so you don't want to miss that. It'll be a fun night. Hey, today I want to get right into God's Word. I got a lot I want to share. I'm going to break my message today really into three parts, and I'll kind of walk you through it as we go. The title of today's message is, Don't Judge Me. Don't judge. Come on, say it with me. Don't judge me. Look at your spouse. Don't judge me. See, that's has become a very common expression the last few years, and it tend you tend to hear it when you're talking to somebody and you kind of point out an obvious failure or a shortcoming or a flaw, or you question something about their lives, and their response is, "Don't judge me." And you know it spilled over into the church where there's this attitude, of, "Don't judge me." Well, I'm going to address all that today. Is it right to judge people? is it wrong to judge people well the answer is both i'm going to show you from scriptures okay there are times to judge there's times not to judge so what does the bible say about judging i'm going to begin today in matthew chapter 7 if you've got your bible if you don't we'll have the verses on the screen and then we're going to switch over the next point the part the second part of the message and i'm going to speak from luke chapter 6 matthew 7 and luke 6 Uh, They contain the accounts of the Sermon on the Mount And the the verbiage and the way it's stated is a little bit different So I want to draw from both of these accounts Of the Sermon on the Mount to make these points clear So Matthew chapter 7 Verse number 1, read with me, it says this Judge not that you be not judged Judge not, do not judge others Verse 2 For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, verse 3. Jesus says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye, Verse 5, Jesus says, hypocrite. Now, let's stop here for a minute, okay? Because I read that word, and that, that means different things probably to different people. In the original writings, the word hypocrite simply means actor. You're an actor. You're playing a role, but you're not really the person whose role you're playing. You're just acting like it. So when Jesus addressed it in his days to the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites. Basically, he said, ah, you bunch of actors, that's not really who you are and what you are. You're just acting like that's who you are. So when Jesus is explaining this, he's in the middle of talking about judging people, having a plank in your own eye, and Jesus said, you're actors. If you think you can sit in the seat of judgment on people's eternal destination, you're just acting like you're God, but you're really not God. Now let's read on verse 5. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's talk for a few minutes about what Jesus is saying here, talking about do not judge other people. First of all, we need to define the word judge or judgment. In the original writings, the word judge tends to give the effect that when I sit in judgment, when I decide to judge, I am the judge, the jury, and the executioner, which means I will look at the evidence, I will decide the verdict, are you guilty or innocent, and then I myself will punish you for your wrongdoing that's what we're talking about here when he says do not judge other people he's saying don't set yourself up to look at a situation pass a verdict and put a label on somebody and then decide that you will punish them the way they need to be punished and it's interesting that as jesus shared this he went on to say the way that you judge other people is the way that you're going to receive judgment it's coming back to you the way that you dish it out but then jesus also goes a little bit further and i think if you look at the passage of scripture jesus is getting to a point and if you put it all in context he's saying you need to be very careful about taking on a judgmental spirit towards other people now i was raised in a very legalistic church and we were taught To judge each other by the clothes we wore by the words that we used or didn't use by our church attendance by what we were involved in Um, women were judged differently than men based on what they wore so on and so forth it was very very legalistic and we were taught to run around inspecting each other's lives looking for fault in each other I'm gonna tell you something When you start looking for fault, you'll find a lot of fault. Look at your neighbor. See, you start looking, you'll find fault if you want to look for it. It's there to easily see. So Jesus is saying, be careful that you don't take on a spirit and an attitude where you think, well, I'm so good and I'm so close to God and I'm going to run around and I'm going to point out fault in everybody else's life. A critical spirit, a critical attitude is a dangerous place to be. So Jesus says avoid that. But then he goes on to the next point, and he says, the truth of the matter is, everybody has eye problems. We don't see things clearly. We don't see things as God sees things. We can't see what's really the heart and the intent of every person. And the way he had described it was, he said, you look at your neighbor and you see they've got a splinter in their eye. So what do you do? You go to remove it because you know how to do that. The problem is you've got a two by four in your eye. And so when you reach for that splinter, you really can't see clearly what you're doing. Jesus said, avoid that attitude of deciding you're going to sit in judgment on other people's lives, especially on other people's eternal destiny and you know to judge another person's eternal soul none of us can see clearly to do that because that's God's job Jesus told the Pharisees one day don't sit in the seat of Moses don't make the laws don't make the rules don't decide you're gonna judge everybody that's not your place that's God's place but then In the next verse, we stopped at verse 5. In verse 6, Jesus says something really, really interesting. And you know, when I was a young minister and I was studying God's Word, I used to read this verse, and I understood the picture of it, but I had trouble with it because I didn't really put it back in context. But look at verse number 6. Jesus follows this up and he says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine." lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces i think what jesus is saying is judgment is a holy holy thing and only god is qualified to pass judgment on people's lives It's a holy thing and we need to be careful about taking a holy thing and bringing it down to our level and throwing it around and let everybody take it and use it because before long they begin to trample on it and they will turn and they will devour you with judgment. So be very careful about sitting in the judgment seat. So number one, we're not to judge people's lives and eternal destinies and where they are with God. But number two, we're gonna to go to Luke chapter six. This is also the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of Luke's account. We're gonna begin reading at verse 43, but I want you to see what Jesus goes to after he talks about not judging. Verse 43, he says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. But Notice the words in the next verse. For every tree is known by its own fruit. Let's pause here just a moment. Every tree is known by its own fruit. If you go over to a friend's house or a neighbor's house and you walk in their backyard and they've got fruit trees in the backyard, I don't know about you, I can look at a tree from a distance and I can't tell you what kind of tree is what kind of tree. I don't know the difference in trees. I don't know the leaves. I don't know exactly how they, I don't know all that but if there's fruit on the trees it's easy for us to identify what kind of trees are in someone's backyard a tree is identified by the fruit that it produces every tree is known by its fruit Now, the rest of this verse for men do not gather figs from thorns nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush verse 45 a good man and notice Jesus now takes it from trees Back to applying it to our lives. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know, it's a part of everyday living. People around us will judge us by the fruit of our lives. It's just natural well what kind of a person is joe and those who know him will tell you well this is the kind of person he is what they're telling you is here's his lifestyle here's his character here's how he lives his life here's what he is how do they know that they know that by the fruit of his life for example if i were to look at john and somebody says well what do you know about john i'll tell you what John is a steady guy John is a committed guy John is the same day after day you can trust God, John if he tells you he's gonna do something he is dependable why because I've seen that fruit in his life he loves God he knows God he loves people I can tell you that about John now I cannot judge an eternal soul I don't know all that but I can judge the fruit of a person's life and every day that we live every day we live we are judged by the fruit of our lives and we label people by the fruit we see in their lives see jesus said don't judge people but you'll be able to identify what a person is by the fruit that their life produces now it's unrealistic for us to think people aren't going to judge us it's unrealistic for us to think we don't label people by the fruit of their lives we do we do but i want to get to this point today because i think it's really important in this message if i claim the name of jesus over my life and i claim that jesus christ is my lord and savior i then have a responsibility to learn to live my life in a manner that glorifies him every believer if I'm a follower of Jesus, and He is my Lord and my Savior, what is my testimony? We teach this all the time. I was in darkness. He showed me the light. I was that, but I'm out of darkness. I'm in the light. I've left the old lifestyle. I'm in the new lifestyle. I'm living with Jesus. And when you look at my life, you should be able to see some fruit of my life that says Jesus lives here. It should be evident in all of our lives. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. There should be enough fruit in our lives that people can watch us and realize that person trusts God. That person follows the ways of Jesus. But then let me flip that coin over for a minute. If I live a life that dishonors the name of Jesus, I give people a reason to reject Christ. I give people a reason to say no to Christ if I live a life of double standard. Let me me illustrate this to you. I know this well. I told you, I was raised in a very old-fashioned church. From the time I was a little bitty kid, I was in church. When I was growing up, my dad wouldn't go to church. Until I was 19, 20 years of age, he rarely ever went to church. Occasionally, but not very often. He just wouldn't go. He believed in God. When he was a young man, he had prayed a prayer and given his heart to the Lord. But as time went by, he backed further and further away from church, refused to go. My father owned his own gas station. And because of where we lived and because of the day back in those days, the way lifestyles were, uh, my father at his gas station would sell gasoline, tires, batteries. He would do work on people's cars, and he would do it on the credit for them and say, you can make payments and pay me back, no interest. He would do this to help people, and to draw them back as customers. But my dad had a section in this little box he had, it was his credit box, his file box. He had a section in the back for old bills that people would never pay. And it was amazing how many of those people were people from the church that our family attended. When my dad was in those years, and you say to my dad, you need to go to church. You know what he would say to you? Why do I need to go to church? I live a life better than most of those people. Hello. And as a result, he believed in God, but he had nothing to do with church because he saw actors. I'll tell you a funny part of this. Back in 2007, I guess, my dad passed away. I had the honor of doing his funeral. Well, when I was 19, he was sitting in a restaurant with some people some friends who were visiting from out of state and they shared with him the hypocrisy of people but the truth of the gospel of Jesus my dad bowed his head sitting in a restaurant asked Jesus Christ to come in his heart in his life be the Lord of his life and the rest of his life he was in church every Sunday totally changed him great thing but when I did my dad's funeral a few years ago as I was going through his stuff I found his old box And I pulled out these cards of these people's names that still owed him money and a lot of people at his memorial service knew these people I didn't call their names but I did tell them the thing that kept my dad out of church all those years were people who claimed the name of Jesus but wouldn't pay for their gasoline and I said I don't mean to put any guilt on you but if you're here today and you want to come see me I'll gladly take the money for him point is this we have a responsibility to live a life that honors God and if we live a double life it confuses people and it puts mud on the name of Jesus so we can judge the fruit that our lives are producing let me throw one little caution in here before I go to part three one caution don't fall into the trap of becoming a fruit inspector Because becoming a fruit inspector where you think, well, I'm appointed in this church to run around and look at people and find they're wrong and tell them all they're wrong. Let me tell you something. That's part of leading into a critical spirit. Avoid becoming a fruit inspector where all you do is look for the fault in people's lives. Amen. This is an unusual message today. This is not like most Sundays. It's a little bit different. But we need to know this. Now, for the last part of this message, the third part, it's going to take a few minutes. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5, and I'm going to walk through this whole chapter. A lot of churches today don't want to address this, don't want to talk about it, because it's sticky. I was thinking about this last night. You know, I've been living long enough now, now that I'm in midlife. I've been living long enough that, and been in ministry long enough. I, I can address some of this and kind of take my stand and say, look, this is what the Bible says. Here's where we're going to stand so i'm not afraid to get into this today but i want you to listen closely what i'm going to have to say because we need to understand as the church of jesus christ we need to see people in judgment differently than how the world sees it we just do first corinthians 5 paul addresses a problem in the church we're going to read through the whole chapter i'm going to move fast so stay with me verse one paul writes this to the church he says it is actually reported That there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual sexual immorality that is not even named among the Gentiles. In other words, not even unbelievers are into this kind of sin. That a man has his father's wife. Okay, Paul's talking, let's pause here a minute. Paul's talking about sexual sin. If you've got your children in here, put your hands over their ears. They ought to be in children's church anyway. But uh, we've got teenagers in here. You all are old enough to hear this. Paul says there's sexual sin in the church. There's a man that you welcomed him as a brother. He's been there a while. You've not dealt with him. He's actually having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Now, when I think about this, two things hit my mind. Either he's having sex with his mother or he's having sex with his stepmother. And I struggle with either one of those to be very honest with you. Okay, that's not my thing. But... <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to be funny, but that is kind of funny when I think about it. <laughs> see, most of my humor is sarcasm. So when something like that comes out, that's funny. But, but here's what I want you to see. Paul says, this kind of thing should not be going on in the church. I ought to get 17 amens right here. This kind of thing should not be going on among those who claim the name of Jesus. (laughs) Paul said, even unbelievers don't do that. Your neighbor is smart enough not to do that. You ought to be smart enough not to do that. All right? Verse 2, Paul says, and you are puffed up. You've taken pride over this matter. You've received it and said, ah, it's okay. It's no big deal. You're proud of it. He says, you've not mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. What he's basically saying is, yeah, and you're running around saying, oh, isn't the grace of God amazing? The grace of God is so good that here's this guy having sex with his mother mother or his stepmom. Oh, that's okay. God smiles on that. God does not smile on that. Paul says, you are all wrong for not dealing with this. Verse 3, Paul says, for I indeed have... As absent in body, but present in spirit. He said, I'm hundreds of miles away when I write this letter, but my heart is there. I have already judged. Notice those words. He said, I've already judged. It's the same word that Jesus said, do not judge. It's the exact same word. Paul said, me As the overseer of this church, the one who speaks into all your lives, the the apostle who is used by God in establishing and growing this church, I'm telling you, here's my judgment, and here's what needs to happen. As though I were present, here's what you do. You need to judge the man who's done this deed. Verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ deliver such a one to satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the lord jesus everybody say that's strong see that's so strong that most of us are like oh i don't i can't get my head around that 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 couldn't be of god friend it's written in the word of god god inspired this and paul's trying to make a point Paul's saying, I'm not there, but since I'm not there to do it, you all need to tell this brother, you've chosen to live an ungodly life. You've taken on a lifestyle that is wrong. We cannot accept this. You can no longer be in our fellowship. You cannot take communion with us because we will not have this sin in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. So you all need to deal with it, all right? Verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. He said, why are you bragging about this? Why do you think this is a good thing? This is not a good thing. But he says, do you not know that a little leaven, a little sin works its way through the whole lump? I mean, you put a little bit of yeast in some dough and the whole thing begins to rise. He said, you're all puffed up and you've accepted this sin and it needs to be out of God's church. Verse seven, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, Since you truly are unleavened, you're supposed to be without sin. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. In other words, Jesus died to deliver us from that life. He didn't die to keep us in our sin. He died to deliver us from our sin. And for us to live a life of sin is totally rejecting everything that Jesus came to do and everything the church stands for. This is who we are, not that. So Paul says it needs to be dealt with. Indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So he says in verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven or old sin, nor with the sin of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let let me just say this real quickly before I move on. If you're going to have a relationship with God, there's going to be two things that have to be there. Sincerity and truth. You have to sincerely want to know God and walk with God. You have to follow his word because his word is truth. And if you reject sincerity and you reject truth, you will not have a healthy whole relationship with God. And if we accept that in the church and say it's the norm, it will destroy the church. This is good preaching today. Now, let me say one more thing. I want to talk to men for just a minute. I'll use you for an example. I'll I'll leave women alone, okay? Men, husbands, if you found out your wife was having an extramarital affair with another man, how would you feel about that? See, somebody's crying already just thinking about it. (laughs) How would you feel about that? Would it break your heart? Would it embarrass you? Of course it would. How do you think Jesus feels when his bride is infected with sexual sin? And you know what what sexual sin is? You know how the Bible defines that? Anything outside of a relationship between other than a man and a woman in a marriage relationship, any sexual activity outside of that is considered sin by God's word. Any of it. See, we, we like to pick this one and pick that one and pick that one. It's all sexual sin. If it happens outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, it's sexual sin. And it hurts the heart of God when his bride allows this stuff to infect her life. We need to live lives that please the Lord, not test his patience. This is good. This is so good. I'm going to buy the 8-track of this. It's that good. It's so good. Now go to verse 9. Okay, I'm going to move fast. I've got a few minutes to finish this. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people think about this paul said i wrote you one letter now we don't have record of that letter that letter was lost somewhere but paul refers to it he said i've already written you one letter and i told you as believers don't don't keep company with other believers who are sexually immoral okay that's paul's words verse 10 Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother or a sister who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner not to even eat with such a person see paul says don't extend christian fellowship to those who walk away from god and live ungodly lives see i'm not making this stuff well man can anybody be here let me tell you something i'll get to it in just a second he's not talking about someone who falls into sin and makes a mistake he's talking about someone who takes on a lifestyle and stays with it and lives in it that's what he's talking about right here So, I want you to stay with me here. Notice what Paul says. He said, These are the kinds of people we're not to fellowship with sexually immoral people, people who are covetous or extortioners, which means they're money hungry to the point of being dishonestly greedy. They'll cheat you for a dollar. He talks about idolaters, people who actually worship idols and other gods. We don't call them believers. I I mentioned it last week. People say there are 17 ways to God. They all get there. No, there's not. There's only one way to God. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that washes away our (laughs) sins, his blood. And we do not claim the name of any other God. Then he mentions people who are hateful and abusive. I'm going to stay here just one minute. I have just enough time to do this. You know what the acid test of Christianity is? It's dealing with people. Dealing with God's easy. I mean, he, he lays it out for you. Here's, here's the way it works. People will try your patience. If you don't believe me, when I say this right now, somebody will come to your mind. There is somebody who rubs you wrong and you'd just soon not be around them. And that picture, that person just popped in your head. I know. The acid test of Christianity is how do we deal with people? How do we respond to people? When people are at their worst, how do we walk that out? When people are unkind, how do we walk that out? How do we love people the way we love ourselves? How do we do that? That's the acid test of Christianity. Paul says, when you run across hateful, abusive people who are mean and nasty and say, "That's just who I am," if you don't like it, that's your problem. That's not the spirit of Jesus. It's not it's not something's wrong there now so while I'm on a roll let me hit the last one and Paul said the last thing you don't want to hang around with is a drunkard I know what you're thinking you can't preach that in Temecula Valley we're in wine country you can't <laughs> preach that see Paul says if you're drinking to the point where you're losing control of yourself and you're doing stupid stuff that's not the spirit of Jesus you've lost control So Paul names these things, and he says there's certain things that when people adopt this lifestyle and hang on to it, we have to draw a line and say, I'm sorry, this is not the Spirit of Jesus. You can't fellowship here if you're going to be this kind of person. Where do we go from here? I'm going to show you, so stay with me. How do we address a believer, a brother or a sister, someone in the church? How do we address someone... Who falls into sin we don't just boot them out the door how do we address them first of all we approach them in love with the goal of restoration galatians 6 if you see a man overtaken in a fall you who are spiritual go to that person in a spirit of love and meekness try to restore them considering yourself because you've made mistakes too See, too many Christians are running around throwing stones when we need to be going to people, try to pick them up and heal them and get them whole and get them back in the race. That's the spirit of Jesus. That's the spirit of Jesus. When you see someone in sin, you go to them to try to restore them. The second thing I think is really important is that we approach people out of relationship. I mentioned fruit inspectors. Man, when I was a kid, we had four or five women in our church. They were expert f- experts at inspecting people's fruits, and they would stand at the door and looking you over. And man, it was all about how you dressed and how you looked and uh, all, all this stuff. They were they were mean and nasty people. Let me tell you something: if someone needs to be confronted about something going on in their life, it needs to come from somebody they trust. Somebody they're in relationship with. It needs to come from a brother or a sister that they know well. That the brother or sister can walk in and say, hey, you know I love you, but I need to talk to you about something. It doesn't need to come from a stranger that they don't know if they care about them or not. It needs to come from somebody they trust. It needs to come out of relationship. Jesus says if somebody comes and offends you, go to them one-on-one, just you and them, and try to iron this thing out and save your brother or sister. That's the first step Well, what do you do if somebody refuses to turn from their wickedness, refuses to come back to Christ, and refuses to turn and repent from that sin? Well, we draw a line. There's a way we do that, and I'm not going to get into any details of that today. There's a way that needs to be done, but it does not give us license to be mean and nasty and hateful and judgmental and tell people, you're going to hell. That's not our job. That's God's job. That's God's job there's a way to do it now i know what some of you are thinking some of you are thinking well if that was me and he told me i couldn't come to church i'd never see those people again let me tell you what happened when paul writes the second letter to the corinthian church that's recorded when paul writes that letter in the middle of the letter he says oh yeah you remember that brother i wrote to you about, about Pushing him away, not receiving because his life's upside down. I hear that he suffered enough. He's been through enough. You pulled the fellowship and the love of Christ away from him. Now he's turned. He's broken that relationship. He's got his heart and his life right. He wants to be a part of the church. You need to open your arms and welcome him. You see, sometimes drawing a line brings people to the place where they allow the Spirit of God over a period of time to work in their hearts and make adjustments, if we draw no line, it gives them no reason to let God do something new and fresh in their lives. Now, let me ask a question. Why do people who don't know God, who don't serve God, why do they do such terrible things? It's because they don't know God and they don't serve God that's why I remember years ago our founding pastor pastor Roger one Sunday morning he said y'all need to quit barking at your neighbors you aren't serving the Lord you need to quit screaming and yelling at them that's all they know to do their sinners are lost in sin that's what sinners do they sin I think sometimes we have expectations of people. We think all of our neighbors and everybody around us needs to live like Christians when they don't know Christ. That's not going to happen. That's why Paul said this. Listen closely. When it comes to people of the world, we cannot judge them. But when it comes to those who claim the name of Christ, we can set boundaries and guidelines. Judge, yes. Judge, no. Paul said that. So, In closing, how do we approach people who don't know the Lord? Your neighbors, co-workers, family members. How do we approach people who are living in sin and we know they are and they don't know the Lord? First of all, we need to be loving. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. We need to learn to love people. If God loves people, why can't we love people? Thank you, somebody said that was great, you hear that? (laughs) If God can love people, why can't we learn to love people? Second thing, we need to be kind to those who don't follow Jesus. We need to be kind to everybody, but some people are hateful to unbelievers. I'll I'll explain this in a minute. Romans 2, Paul says it's the goodness of God that leaves people, people to repentance. It's people realizing this is not a good way to live, that's a better way to live and God will accept me. I'm gonna get over there where I can be blessed by God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to turn away from the old life and turn to the new life. Now let me say this. Last year when we did our, uh, camp, our event, our outreach event where we went into the schools and just blessed teachers randomly. Went into three different schools and blessed teachers to help them out. They were so grateful but one teacher walked up to us and she's unchurched, she made it clear. But she said, oh, this is so nice that you guys have done this and brought us all these supplies we needed. She said, you know, the only thing we know about God is what that one church in town says because all they've done is come and tell us that we're all demons and devils and we're going to hell. You know what? People who are lost in sin need some good news. They need some love. They need some kindness. Somebody needs to let them know Jesus cares. And I'm going to tell you something. We're going to be a church that opens our arms and say, if you want God's help, you can find it here. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Next thing, we need to be compassionate. I love Romans 5, 8. It says, when we were lost in our sins, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Have we forgotten where we were when Jesus came into our lives? Have we forgotten the mess that we were and the way that we lived before Jesus? We need to be compassionate with people and take Jesus to them so he can change their lives. We've got to have some compassion. Colossians chapter 4, Paul said, when you talk with people, we need to choose our words carefully and let them be seasoned with God's grace. I want to tell you something. Somebody lost on their way to hell, they know they're lost. When you come in, all you can tell them is you're going to hell, you're lost. They're like, well, tell me something new. Tell them something good. Give them some good news. Season your words with grace, not judgment. And then the last thing, last little piece of this, this is so important and it probably needs to go first but let me just throw it last you need to be praying for people that cross your pathway who don't know the lord co-worker neighbor family member you need to be praying for them ask god to remove the blinders that have blinded them ask god to open their hearts where the spirit of god can get in ask the holy spirit to go and move on their hearts and touch their hearts and give god a chance to work in their lives that's important. I have a pastor friend who says it this way. He says, I have no business talking to people about God until first I've talked to God about those people. Old Testament, book of Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 22, verse 30. God's speaking to Ezekiel one day and he says, I looked across the land and all I see is sin and wickedness. And I'm about to judge the land for all of this. But he said, before I do, I looked across the land for somebody who would get in that gap between me and a lost world, who'd build a wall of protection, of prayer around them, so that I could begin to move in their hearts. But God said, the sad thing is, I couldn't find anybody who cared enough to pray for lost people. And judgment came on the land. Let me tell you something. We need to start praying for our friends and our family members who are lost. We need to start taking it seriously because there is a heaven and there is a hell and we need to tell them that Jesus is the way to life eternal. We need to take that seriously. And We're not judge, jury, and executioner over a lost world. We're God's instrument. We're God's bridge to help get people lost people to jesus were god's instrument a few years ago i'm closing with this a few years ago there was a man one week walked into our church in his young years he had known the lord but he got his life upside down some things happened business pressures were big one thing led to another and all of a sudden one day he was far far from god he was losing everything he had including his family he was addicted, had a major addiction problem. His life was absolutely upside down. And he wasn't a young man, middle aged man. Walking in the doors of this church, he met with some men in a men's group one night. There's a group of men there who loved him and embraced him, began to show him the way out, walked through it with him. I want to tell you today, you wouldn't know where that guy would come from. If you saw him in church on Sunday morning, you would never know his background. You would never know his history because God has totally restored his life. The interesting thing is, if I were to tell that story this morning, which I just did, if you look around the room, you see it here and here and here and here and here and here and here. God's done it in most of our lives. Why aren't we willing to love people and bring them to Jesus? Let him do the same for them. I want to pray for you this morning. I need to finish right now. I want to pray. Bow your heads if you would. Father, I pray you take this message about judgment. Judge, don't judge. You bury it in our hearts. Correct me where I need correction. Make adjustments in my thinking. Help me to understand your word and align with your word. And God, make us the church you want us to be. A church that loves people but shuns sin church that says this is the way we're going to walk in it god give us the grace to do that give us the grace to help people who are struggling help us to become a church that wins souls family friends neighbors co-workers help us to be that soul winning church and see people's lives changed i ask it in jesus name heads are still bowed for one more moment maybe you're here today and you've heard this message and you say you know i kind of relate with that guy you were talking about I know what it is to be lost and have my life upside down. That's me, and I'm trying to find the way out, and I need God's help. If that's you, the Spirit of God's probably knocking on the door of your heart right now, and you're realizing, I need God's help, and I need Him now. The way we begin a relationship with God is by invitation. We ask Him to come into our lives. He knocks on the door of our heart, and we open the door, and we say, God, if you're extending me grace by faith, I open the door, and I ask you to come in. So I want to lead you in a prayer today It starts with an invitation God come into my life I want to pray a prayer And I'm going to ask you to wrap your heart around this prayer And let God begin to work in your life If you would today Heavenly Father I come to you today And I need your help I need you I need you to take up the broken pieces of my life And put them back together again I need your help God I've gone the wrong direction I've ran my own way and it's not worked out the way I hoped so I know I need you so today I turn from the old life and I ask you to give me a new life. I confess that I've wa- I've walked in the wrong ways I'm in sin but I ask you to forgive me today. I accept Jesus as my Savior what he did on the cross is full payment for my sins and I ask that you would make jesus the lord of my life i want to learn your ways i want to follow you i want you to rule every area of my life so today i give my life back to you from this moment forward you'll be my father and i'll be your child help me on my journey from this day forward i will follow you amen if you prayed that prayer today sincerely from your heart god heard that prayer And this is not the end of the journey. This is just the beginning. We want to help you on that journey. We've got a little tool, a little booklet we'd love to give you. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for the next week to help you get started walking with God. We want to give it to you. Two ways you can get it. First of all, when service is over, we'll have prayer teams right here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone for any need. But if you just walk up to one of these teams and say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there. If you don't remember the name, it doesn't matter. Just say, give me the booklet. They'll give it to you. No strings attached. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you need prayer for something, they'll pray with you. If you just want to get the book and go, please let us give it to you today. If you're in a really big rush, out in the lobby, right in the middle of the glass doors where you exit, there's a counter set up there. Stop by the counter. They'll have a a screen overhead that says next seven days. Stop by there and say, can I get the booklet? Same thing there. They'll help you any way you want help today. We want to get you started walking with God. And we want to welcome you to God's family. So can we put our hands together and welcome new believers to God's family today? God bless you.
1: Hey, can we say thank you to Pastor Gary for that awesome message this morning? Hey, one last thing before we go. Um, We are so excited for Lift Off Kids Day Camp starting tomorrow. It's gonna be so cool, we're so pumped. Um, hey, a couple things about that. If you registered before June 11th, your packets are ready and they're in the foyer to the left. Before you take off today, go see our team. They'll get you your packets and all the info you need to save you a bunch of time tomorrow. I know for some of you, you might be thinking, we didn't register our first to fifth grader. Can we still get in our day of registration? And I do the air quotes because it's not the day of, but. Our day of registration is online right now. So you can still register or maybe you even know somebody, a family that you can invite and help get in. maybe as Pastor Gary was talking about, some people in our world who we need to be praying for who are lost, this is such a great opportunity to reach the people in our world, and so they can still register, it's all online, go online uh, to get all that figured out, it all kicks off tomorrow, kiddos arrival is 8.30, and for our over 300 volunteers, we'll be getting here at 7.30, I say we, I'll be here at like, I don't know, 3 a.m. or something, we'll see, but 7.30, over 300 volunteers, if you are a volunteer, you rock, you're so cool, if you're not volunteering, can I ask you to do one thing for us, he'd be praying for us this week. It's going to be a phenomenal week. It's going to be so much fun. Pray for protection over our kids, that they'd have the time of their lives. They'd have so much fun. And more than anything else, they would get to know God in a real and a personal level as we connect kids with God and each other. So thank you guys so much for your prayers. We appreciate it so, so, so much. It's going to be a phenomenal week. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church this morning? We love you guys so much. We'll see you next week.